unfiltered, uncensored, and unapologetic. This is the Retail War Zone Podcast. So, a little bit of background real quick. When we had the uh, testosterone warehouse episode, uh, one of our guests had actually messaged me about these two fine folk and said, maybe you should reach out to them. The reason I reached out, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, but I'm a gamer. And these two are gamers. And they've had an episode talking about some of the harassment and things you have to put up in the gaming industry. And this is something I've wanted to touch on. So what I'm going to do is introduce the top here. We have Lex. The bottom we have Manny. Their podcast is Going IRL Pod. All their ads are here on the screen. So go give them a follow. Check them out. I'm going to let them introduce themselves, talk a little bit about how they got into it. They're going to go from there. So the floor is yours, guys. Okay. Well, um, my name, of course, is Manny. Uh, I've been a video game player for so long, way back when like, I got that combination Duck Hunt Mario on the uh, Nintendo playing that. Um, and so I've like loved video games. Uh, another part, of course, is just that I live in the world and sometimes the world isn't what we want it to be. So rather than stay silent, uh, I've always sort of advocated for things. Sometimes it's just like uh, consumer advocacy in my own little like uh, personal bubble. Sometimes like bigger things have caused me to speak out more. And then, of course, I met Lex, who is seems to always be outspoken and uh i wanted to channel that so like yeah lex and i have uh teamed up and we've made going rl but like i'll talk a little bit uh, about the nexus or the beginning of that after giving lex a chance to introduce herself okay um the uh yeah and manny has made some really amazing podcasts um and has been going at that for quite some time um and so i was very honored uh, when uh, <laughs> when Manny said that he wanted to to start a podcast together, um, and yeah, we have been talking about some uh, some good some different topics about how gaming interacts with the world, and I was really really excited to talk about labor because I know that's a big thing in um, in video gaming, especially. Yeah. So as Lex said, um, I've been doing podcasting for a while now. A while isn't actually that long. I've only been at it for like the last three years. Um, my big podcast is solely focused on the World of Warcraft. It's for Azeroth. So we talk about World of Warcraft and all those different expansions that come out. And it's a lot of fun. Um, but as things have been happening, we've had to discuss more serious matters. Uh, Blizzard first had their big stumble with Blitzchung, where uh, a player took the stage after winning and decided that, hey, I've got my 15 minutes of fame. I want to talk about something real. And so they talked about uh, actually protesting against the Chinese government as part uh, as part of uh, a completely in independent, well, was independent country. And the fallout from that was that they he had his winning stripped. He um, got banned from the circuit. It was very heavy-handed. And a lot of people were saying, well, wait a second, he deserves to be able to speak about that. This is the wrong thing to go. And it wasn't just us as consumers on the outside. 
it was also a lot of Blizzard staff also being like, this is not the right way. And enough outpouring of that sentiment came as well uh, as well, not only from like us at the as the consumers, but through the the staff and that that it then got to uh, political levels and there were actual governors nurse and stuff starting to write in and be like wait what's this about why are you being so uh, so cozy and that kind of pressure eventually made them uh change where their position and he was reinstated after much shortened um uh we'll call it we'll call it a suspension right so instead of it being he was gone for two years and the two um announcers that took the interview were also fired. They decided, okay, we're going to change this around. Uh, the announcers can work on some other projects, possibly for a different region. And um, and he was only gone for six months, and he got to keep his winnings. So great. It was a much it was a much better thing. Uh, Blizzard since then has had a lot of different faux pas and issues, but the thing that has remained constant is that when we as a community talk about it, make our voices heard, it is a lot harder for them to just treat it as business as usual. Uh, a lot of times you will have these companies, not just Blizzard, but all, a bunch of companies that will use the news cycle to sort of be like, okay, people are upset now, but just wait until the next guy steps in it and then we'll be fine. Um, and so what we've done each time there has been something like this, uh, one of the big ones was the Me Too movement that happened with uh, uh, with not only just Hollywood, but then had a pretty much an echo in the video game industry. Uh, and then a few summers back, we had the entire Black Lives Matters protest. And each time we couldn't just treat video games as escapism we couldn't just say that oh like we're not going to talk about it so we actually spoke spoke on it and that led to me um starting a a podcast with some other um people in the community uh to talk about these sort of social issues because it's one thing to talk about it when it becomes an event when it becomes something else but to continue the conversation um, when it is not exactly what's being focused on and to keep that awareness up, I have realized has become so important in this day and age. And the first attempt at it, it fizzled out. It didn't go that well. But then I have had the honor of meeting up with Lex, who doesn't wait for uh, the crap to fall on her front door before talking about it. And I really wanted to um, just partner with Lex and actually like follow suit with what Lex does. So yeah, we we made going IRL, and um, you know about the episode that we had with Jessica Gonzalez, where we talked about the entire treatment of uh, the contract laborers and all uh, staff within not just blizzard because like a lot of people want to isolate it to blizzard but it is the industry in general she spoke about her time at indie studios large studios and activision blizzard and from other people i've spoken to it is obviously it's industry-wide 
So that was a great conversation. But Lex and I, we've had conversations about even things that are like, how do you use your platform when we're having a show like this on Twitch or anything like uh, or anything like that? How do you sit in a in social media like Discord, like Twitter, and affect a change there? Because by the time it's become a big event, usually you get these two different uh, sides that are almost talking past each other, and the real conversations don't happen like that. They usually happen when you're hanging out with your friends and um, the the bridge between that, I think it's going IRL and have, and actually starting up those conversations and talking about these topics before they are being thrown around by CNN headlines. Right now to interject to your point, you know, the industry itself has a problem. And, you know, one thing I think that cannot be stressed enough is we all have like our, our, you know, fanboyism, if you want to call it that, you know, you've got your Xbox guys and gals, you've got your PlayStation and you've got your, you know, beloved Nintendo and everybody needs to understand that it happens in Nintendo too. And, you know, they kind of get a pass because of who they are. They're, they're not really out there in the public eye. You don't hear a whole lot, but it happens just as much there as it does everywhere else. And it happened yep, this week. And, you know, also, too, for people that aren't familiar, this is the first time you've heard about this stuff, you know, Activision Blizzard, the whole deal with uh, Bobby Kotak, that whole mess. Um, if that's something you're not familiar with, I would suggest researching it. Uh, and real quick to touch on that, do you think Microsoft used that scandal to their advantage to purchase Activision Blizzard? 100%. And I don't believe anybody would tell you any different. That was just, at at best, shrewd business. At worst, like, profiteering. But at, but at, at any rate, they saw weakness with Activision Blizzard. Their stock had been in trouble because of this and had actually been uh, suffering for a, a while before because of incidents like I said, Blitzchung, like their um, mass um, layoffs that they did where they cut off about 10% of their staff while also being on their most profitable year ever. And they've had a lot of black eyes marketing wise and PR wise. And it's been, it's been a very consistent decline for them. So that has actually started affecting their price, uh, their stock value. And yeah, Microsoft swooped in because they wanted a better position. Yeah, that was a wounded dog. Uh, I had a question come through. Either one of you, feel free to answer this one. Blame Tag said, I was going to ask if the recent rash of indie developers being acquired by larger companies has been better or worse for the workers. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I will be honest that I don't know the exact numbers, but I, I think that, like, it's going to be company-specific. Uh, a lot of indie companies do kind of go off of hype, right? And and the way that you build hype and community and make your game into something that is, like, lovable and that people get excited about is by having a certain culture and, you know, making people feel proud to be purchasing your game, right? And so I think that indie companies will focus really hard on maybe like acceptance and diversity and things like that. Um, the flip side from what I've heard, again, as somebody who's not an industry insider, um, is that 
indie games especially don't have a ton of money. And so they're going to be pushing really hard for really long hours and really hard work and a lot more of a like, you know, like the the game and the company is your life and you should love it as much as the creators and like this should be everything and like why are you taking time off of work we need you to finish this game this is a huge game if you don't work it like we have three other people um and so you know i i think that it, it it's a little bit of column a column b right big companies have a little bit more ability to to spread that um but a, the big, big companies are kind of basing a lot of their uh, – one of the major ways that they compensate people, right, is you get to say you work at Blizzard. You get to say you work at Xbox, right? Um, there's a, a big expectation in the field of like, oh, well, you know, why are you asking for more money? Aren't you happy that you're working at this big prestigious company? Um, and also, you know, the, the, the industry as a whole is just very – uh, high-powered and expecting a huge amount out of its workers. I don't know if you've heard anything different, Manny. I mean, I think you were exactly right. It is definitely dependent on your studio. In general, um, with the larger studios, that means that you will get a lot more push to hit something by a particular uh, date to meet quarterlies and that. And when that happens, you're looking at more likely to see crunch. But we have seen some small studios or mid uh, mid-sized studios that have been incredibly great towards their um, uh, towards their talent, to, uh, towards the people that they have, their human capital, as it were. Um, and we've seen some that are terrible. In fact, you used an example of Nintendo. Nintendo is a hydra. There are people who I know that work at, at Nintendo that work in particular uh, parts and are contract, and they love it there, and they feel respected and great. But at the same time, there are people who work at other parts of Nintendo, and they are literally um, filing complaints because of how horribly they're being treated. You look at Activision Blizzard. Activision Blizzard is currently being sued literally from coast to coast. They just got a suit from New York, which means they're going coast to coast. Um, and that is a large... Activision Blizzard at the top with many different studios within it. Those different studios all have different cultures. Some of them treat their workers differently than uh, than others, right? And you will get a mixed hodgepodge there. Bungie recently separated from Activision uh, Blizzard, and they've been doing a lot to reclaim their own uh, work environment because they have that aut autonomy. So they have been making a lot of statements towards that. They've switched over to full remote was a big announcement that they made just a few weeks ago. Um, they're looking at the four-day uh, four work week. There's a lot that they're doing for their employees that they would not have had the power to while they are part of Activision Blizzard. And so when Lex says that it depends on the studio, it literally does. You could be under the same umbrella company and from studio to studio, it might be completely different. Blizzard, um, the Versailles company, uh, Offices will be completely different than Blizzard Australia, different than uh, than uh, what they have, and I think they had one company that just recently merged with them, which is now called Blizzard uh, Blizzard Albany, and uh, I could not tell you what their uh, their work environment is because I know nobody there, but their the um, lead of that company was supposed to become the co lead of of Blizzard altogether. And then could not even uh, work three months before saying, I'm out. Wow. So that is a huge culture so, shift. So, you know, 
we'll get you guys to explain what crunch is here in just a second. And would we all agree? I mean, obviously, crunch goes on a lot more than it's publicized, but I would say that CD Projekt Red kind of set the bar on how ter- terrible they were with crunch. Um, you know, from all the reports that came out from that studio, uh, for those of you who don't know, they're responsible for The Witcher and they're responsible for that wonderfully broken piece of software called Cyberpunk <laughs> that came out. Um, so if you guys kind of go into explain to everybody what Crunch is. Go ahead, Lex. So you- basically, my understanding, again, as somebody who doesn't work in gaming, uh, is that Crunch is a period of time right before a game comes out where people are expected to work absurd hours. Um, when we were talking to Jessica, she was talking about like sleeping in her car or literally like under her desk because like she wasn't going home because they were working so many hours to get a game out. So it is just a period of like nose to the grindstone, go, go, go. We need to get this out in like X number of days and you're everyone is putting in overtime. And if you are not putting in overtime, you're essentially not going to keep that job. Yeah, it's it's intense. Yeah, that's yeah, that's very true. Because like all these companies will tell you that they try and avoid crunch. They do not mandate crunch. Um, crunch is totally elective. That is the the team being passionate and really wanting to get everything polished before it goes. But the truth is that they will look. They'll watch. They'll say, "Okay, you didn't do as many hours as this person. We're not going to renew your contract." And it's an open secret. Everybody knows it. So in that way, it's highly incentivized that you are not the, uh, the person who works the least amount of hours. And then if somebody decides to work 80 hours instead of the, uh, the uh, 40, you don't want to be that guy at 40. And if somebody works 90 hours and you're the guy at 70, you don't want to be that guy at 70, even though that's a ridiculous amount of hours that you may have worked. So it becomes this entire race of like pitting one person against each other. And crunch is incredibly bad. There is, uh, I know we look at uh, Project Red, but um, one of the darlings of the industry was Bioware. And people know Bioware because they did the Mass Effect series and they did Dragon Age. And people are like, oh yeah, they were notoriously bad for crunch. Anthem was a game that came out and was dead on arrival and had so much crunch uh, because very late in the stage... They decided, throw everything out, do it over, I don't like this. And then for months upon months, in order to make a a ship date, they had to rebuild that game from scratch. And it is surprising how put together that game is, considering how much they had to crunch and kill themselves to get it together. And I don't want to just say that like the long hours are the only thing that hurt um, people, because there are games where you are making games and you literally get PTSD from making these games. Um, a big fan favorite game is Mortal Kombat. And people are like, oh yeah, Mortal Kombat. And then they redid Mortal Kombat to make it like even more uber uh, gruesome and graphic and, uh, and uh, that much more visceral. And the, that game didn't suffer from a ton of crunch. But what it did do was send a lot of people into early retirement or literally needing therapy because of the the subject matter that they had to research and reference in order to get the game looking like it was. They were looking at cattle mutilation and and war things and that 
day in, day out, and it literally gave some uh, some of their members post-traumatic stress dis- uh, disorder in order to make that game. Uh, and that, that game has had three mm-hmm. sequels since, and I don't know what how those teams have fared. You know, it's people... And, uh, sorry, Lex. Uh, people don't really oh, understand yeah. if you're not into the gaming scene that that industry makes more than basically Hollywood and the music business combined. I mean, the amount of revenue that the gaming industry makes is really unfathomable when you think about it. And therefore, like one of the comments were about, you know, it's Call of Duty, take my money, you know, kind of thing. You know, as a consumer, you know, a lot of people buy this stuff blindly, not knowing what goes on behind the scenes. And, you know, it's, that's a dog-eat-dog world. I mean, it's no joke. I mean, we're working in the gaming industry, you know, if you've been in any amount of time, will wear on you because, you know, manual labor is still manual labor. But there's a lot of stress that goes behind, you know, just the knowledge and know-how it takes to be a developer, the education that you went through, the mental stress there. Lots of times are going to be a lot more than a lot of us will ever face. And when they're going through crunch, I mean, it's, that's punitive. And they're really not seeing anything financial out of it because look at how much money these games make. Look how many units they sell. The developers aren't getting their fair piece of that. Would you guys not agree? Oh, yeah. No, for sure. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that I think about a lot with Crunch um, is that... Uh, you know, to a large degree, it's the higher ups, right? It's them like milking as many hours out of people as they possibly can. But also to a large degree, it's for us, right? It is because we as gamers lose our minds if a game is not released on schedule. Um, and we expect games to be released, you know, very quickly uh, with only a few, you know, I, I think COVID, if nothing else, really showed us just how we were pushing our game developers to the very, very edge. And the second that, you know, anything made that more difficult, it became impossible to meet you know, the the schedules that we set out. And of course, we as gamers still lost our minds. Um, and I think that I, I do think about it a lot in terms of just how much power we have. Um, that, yeah, like, A, we could do a lot of good if we all just kind of like allowed game studios to relax their schedules and to release games slower and to say more often like, whoopsie, we got the schedule wrong. It's going to take a little longer. Sorry, babes. Um, And also, if we use that same pressure that we have taught game studios, we can we have right if we sometimes lost our minds because we learned that people were working 80 hour weeks for years, right? We, because we learned how bad crunch is. Like, we could very easily use that pressure and that force and that strength for good because clearly game studios do really care about what we're thinking and how we're going. Do you think, like, the annual releases of games like Call of Duty and stuff like that has really helped perpetuate this? Oh, I, I absolutely. I cannot imagine it not. That's... I mean, and again, I don't want to release the pressure off of the millionaires and billionaires who own these studios, right? You can also end crunch by hiring more. And you can end crunch by being realistic about the number of man hours you need to complete a video game. Uh, But yeah, I think that the the fact that we're expecting games to be constantly coming out from every studio on an annual or more basis is 
definitely one of the reasons that we're famous. I mean, we do it, you know, we're not like that. If you're a music fan, I'm, I'm not fussing that I don't get like an album a year from my favorite band. You know, you would think that the the community at large should feel the same way about these developers because you want a good finished product. I mean, you don't want to see anybody get pushed to the edge for a product that comes out broken because then you've got to also look at the workforce there in the gaming industry. They've been on crunch. They've worked their asses off. They've done all they can do. And then they feel terrible because now they're getting all this backlash for a broken game. So I think the big, the big thing that companies have been doing is one multiple studios working on a franchise. So you, uh, keep using Call of Duty. Call of Duty and Modern Warfare are really good examples of how they've helped alleviate stress, uh, sorry, um, crunch in in certain ways. Um, the, the studio that puts out Call of Duty this year is not the same studio that's putting out Call of Duty the next year. It actually leapfrogs between different studios. So that gives the studios a, a year off in order to further develop that. But the, the problem that comes in with these yearly releases and I think that a lot of people who play sports games can uh, can attest to this, is that we get the same game with just yep. a different roster. So what happens with these Call of Duty games? You get the same ga uh, game pretty much with like maybe a little tweak here. And okay, we'll set it in Vietnam War here. We'll set it in Modern Warfare Future uh, Conflict here. We'll set it in uh, the Iraq War here. And there's not much um, variation between them, not much uh, like experimentation and fun new things. So like when we eventually get like the zombie mode, we're like, oh, my goodness, finally something new. And I think that's a lot of players settling for less. And I, I honestly believe that what we've seen with a couple of studios is that they will put out the game. And then they'll put out a a DLC season pass sort of thing that goes uh, goes through, and what we're now getting a lot is games as a service. So you will play your Fortnite or whatever to to show an example of a shooter that doesn't do the constant uh, yearly in, uh, update. And every so often you'll get a new DLC pack that if you were paying into it, you get uh, you get that for free. Or you can like buy your way, uh, buy each of those separately. And that allows them to put out stuff fairly re regularly, but not be absolutely tied to a release date. Because when you are looking at big sticker prices and video games are getting larger and larger sticker prices as, uh, as we go, um, they have very particular release windows. You don't want to release a Zelda-like game in the same month that Zelda comes out. That's just problematic for uh, for your uh, sales. You don't want to release a really expensive game in January. Everybody's already paid uh, paid for their stuff. They're not going to purchase your, your game after uh, Christmas sales have gone. So there's these weird little release windows, and the industry uh, as a whole is trying to find different pay dynamics to to get that money from people. But when you go into these, they're basically just called gas, they're games as a service, it allows you to put out a game anywhere at any time and not need to like um, worry about like, oh, do we have a Christmas release? Do we have that? And I, and I really like that because it allows them to shift around when they're putting stuff out, when it's ready. Um 
have you had any communication with anybody in industry and kind of see what the faults are amongst developers on the whole microtransaction mess? Okay, so microtransactions is this really weird cultural shift. Originally, when it came out, if you did a microtransaction, people would hate you. It's like, listen, sticker price for my game. I just want everything in it. Don't start nickel and diming me after the fact. And it's something generational-wise that you'll have more resistance the older people seem to get. But these days, people are fine with it. In fact, most um, profitable games are actually free to play with the microtransactions, uh, getting them l- so much and I uh, on the back end. And I think that if they're structured correctly, micro microtransactions are great. If they are sheerly cosmetic and I can play what the game at the same level as let's say Lex, right? Who likes uh, purchasing a bunch of things. That's fine. But the problem we're now encountering after the acceptance of microtransactions is actually a phenomenon of whaling, which is very much being looked at. Pre-pandemic, it was the, one of the biggest issues. Whaling is a, is a uh, setup where they will put forward some transactions and really they're not meant for the average player. Most people will ignore them. But a small percentage of the player base will buy these things and spend a grotesque amount of money for them. They are things like the player cards in FIFA where you can get random cards for cheap or you can uh, spend an absorbent amount of money and get these gold, shiny, perfect versions or something like that. Uh, it is like Hearthstone packs where or any kind of trading card game that you would uh, you would find where you can get a base pack for a couple of bucks or you can get a very special collector's version limited time and they are going to charge you an arm and a leg that arm and a leg purchase is not for everyone they do not expect even uh, uh 25% of their uh, their customers to even consider it but the few that do they will make a grotesque amount of money out of and it has actually been in some cases linked to a addictive gambling sort of thing. And a lot of uh, countries now are looking at that, including in the UK where they are saying, actually you are getting very close to gambling and we may actually consider these loot boxes gambling. So overwatch has its loot boxes. Um, A lot of these games have loot box like things, including call of duty was a big one back in the day. And the closer it gets to a, lotto the more these countries are sort of starting to crack down on it to the point where they've actually had to change their in-game sale model in some countries because they have banned loot boxes um i had a question from earlier that i think this goes along with you two guys theme of using your platform um hero asked as a warcraft player how do you feel it changes your playing slash enjoyment of the game going forward Ooh, that one is that uh, it's still something that honestly I I think about and I fight with a lot. Um, so the reason that I still play World of Warcraft um, is because one thing that I was hearing a lot from uh, developers in Blizzard, especially uh, women at Blizzard uh, on like Twitter and places like that was a lot of women who are like, 
please don't unsub, please don't boycott, uh, because then like I will be losing my job and I will be losing this thing I love because of my abuser. Like this person has already taken so much from me. And now like if, if you all leave this game, like that's another thing that they will be taking from us. Um, Cause you know, yeah, like to be fair, one of the issues at Blizzard and also other gaming companies is that they are like women are much, much more likely to be at lower levels and men are much, much more likely to be at high levels. So who gets laid off first? It's not the men. Um, but I, I think it does. It's complicated because it's also like there there really are no studios that are clean, right? Even Microsoft has uh, sexual harassment allegations. Um and they're like they're the ones who are purchasing Blizzard, uh, and claiming that they're you know going to clean it all up, which hopefully they will. They've done some work, but anyway, um, every gaming company has a ton of problems, and so I think I have been taking it more as a like, this is something that I, I should have been thinking about this whole time. Now it is at the forefront of my eyes of the misogyny and racism and uh, labor violations in gaming. Um, so now I can't let it fall back down. But w as long as I am playing games, as long as I am streaming, as long as I am doing anything in the gaming industry, I will be engaging with problematic media and I will be engaging with companies that abuse their workers. And so like, instead of pulling out and stopping playing these games, what I need to do is I need to be rem remembering my voice and my power as a consumer and using that to keep people listening and to keep reminding people you know this is not a thing that we can just let kind of fade away um and yeah and, and also just to put pressure on gaming gaming companies because we did see i think with the blizzard lawsuit how much pressure can actually do uh to protect workers and to force change yeah i mean i've had friends who have worked in the industry in um various parts of it including uh, blizzard i think that it could not have had zero impact on somebody as long as you were aware of it. But there are some, there is a good portion of the gaming audience that they stick their game in their console or whatever and they play and they have no idea what's going on behind the scenes. Um, that is part of where our advocacy, uh, advocacy comes in where we talk about it and they're like, oh, let me go listen uh, listen to Lex and Manny on their stream and blah, blah. Oh, wait, this is what's happening? And that's when they become aware of it because they're not actually paying attention. Um, there, are, there are still a lot of people who will never hear about me or anything that I do or any um, things that any streamers do. They are literally the people who come home after work, they put their whatever game into into their console, let's say they're a console player, they'll boot up Overwatch, they'll play Overwatch, right? Laugh, 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 and then that will be it. But the trick of it is that if Lex and I are talking and one of their buddies hears it and one of their buddies is saying it while they're playing, it spreads and awareness spreads. And that's what really the best we can hope for is to get this conversation going and that conversation spreads and it it causes it causes them to not be able to just duck and hide and wait for somebody else to make a mistake and the and the conversation the public eye to shift to something else that's what really helps but as for me it hit really hard i was 
playing World of Warcraft not on one account but two accounts. I had a European account and I was playing over European account and I was playing my North American account. I was playing on all these different servers and then this uh, this hit and yeah, I canceled my uh UK server because I'm like I cannot justify giving them twice the amount of money as the regular player. Um and it affected my playtime, and it made me consider, do I even want to be in this situation for content creation? And yeah, just like Lex was saying, if you listen to to the people who are being affected and what they want, they're not telling you to quit the game out of some token angry thing. But like if you if you think about it, it's almost a hostage situation. It's like you put your money in and yeah, a portion of that money goes to supporting the people who are affected. But when you look at the revenue split, a lot of it's going to, you know, Bobby Kotick at the at the top, right? And that might not be something that can sit well with you. So if somebody wants to step away, I have no issue with them doing that. That is a personal decision and people speaking with their uh, with their money is something that they uh, they should do. I think that the Go ahead. No, go ahead. Okay. I think that at the end of the day, um, you can step away for, for a bit because you just don't feel right. You can jump, uh, be involved in conversations, and that's great. The one thing I would su- uh, that I would say that you don't do is just be like, eh, I'm done with the entire thing. Because when you step away entirely, you aren't helping anybody. You're just sort of washing your hands to make yourself feel better and then you jump over to like let's say you go over to final fantasy uh, 14 and you're like i haven't heard anything bad about square enix right but it's based in japan guys in japan there are sexual assaults hourly that will not get reported because it is considered okay by japanese standards right it is it is a completely different seg- segment of the world, and a lot of people have seen stuff that come out of Japan. And I, I've joked with my friends; I call Japan the world's creepy uncle sometimes. <laughs> um, but like, it is true, and that goes into the work environment. There are far less re- uh, there is far less representation of any type of minority or female in in Japanese uh, game studios. Period. There is a lot more of the stereo uh, the stereotypes that you would be very upset about if it happened in a North American st- studio that are that is just taken as par for the course in a day uh, in the day in Japan. So, if you are fighting against this, sending your money off to Final Fantasy just because they haven't made headlines is not really a statement. Right. Now, this kind of goes into to something that you guys had discussed, you know, when we talked about you guys coming on the stream. Us as gaming consumers, what can we do to make it better? So one reason that I podcast to also kind of to add on to what Manny was saying um, is because there is such a loud group in the gaming world that is not apathetic about this, that is not, you know angry about this but is is actively in like here for the sexism and the racism and you know very much believes that that is what gaming is about um and so i think the one thing that we can do as consumers um is drown that out 
right, is be loud back. Make it so that gaming studios don't feel like they need to be, like, in fact, feel like they can't just be catering to that group because we will then scream back. Um, you know, if you scream that, like, Tracer's ass is too small in Overwatch 2, we're going to yell back if you change anything. Um, but, and I think on top of that is that, like, gaming studios want to be fun. They don't want their games to be embroiled in controversy. And so if you are loud and you make the games controversial, they're going to want to step in and fix the problem, right? So just not letting things go, right? Being loud, pushing back, tweeting at developers, you know, going to cons and talking to people and being as loud as you can against these issues, I think is the number one thing consumers can do. I 100% what Lex said. Consumer advocacy is not just a pipe dream. It is not just something that you're like, oh, I hope this will work. It has proven to work again and again and again, right? Because we have been loud, because we have kept this these issues in the forefront, we have seen governments at all levels getting involved. We have seen advocacy groups for the shareholders getting involved. We have seen New York State getting involved. And that doesn't happen if it just gets blown over. That is not just with this entire thing that came from the EOC investigation and the DFEH investigation. We just we got a securities investigation. We have a stock uh, in New York um, City uh, investigation because New York City has stocks in Activision. And so they uh, they are looking at this and being like, "Hey, this sell uh, this sellout is just you trying to cover your butt, and you're not actually doing your fiduciary duty and making us money." And they can make that argument, whereas we as consumers can't make that argument because we're not stock stockholders. But the pressure to get out from it would not have been there if it wasn't for us applying that. You've seen we we gave the Blitzchung example. That would have been completely lost and forgotten, if not from a very vocal reaction from people who were paying attention. That is an esports event. That is not something that shows up on national news, but gained such a groundswell that it became international news. And if you are talking about it, if you if your friends are talking about it, if consumers are talking about it, then the media will start talking about it. That's why we have Axios reporting on these things. You know, you, you, this is a question that I've, I've often wanted to ask some people, and I want to get your guys' take on it. And this obviously isn't a political thing. But what are your guys' take on some of these studios and companies basically bending to whatever request China has to either censor or remove things from a game. Late stage capitalism conversation. <laughs> um, it's, it is a matter of when a company gets too big, they switch from, okay, this is a big thing with Blizzard. I'm going to point this to Blizzard. Blizzard has a statue on their grounds. And on that, uh, and on that statue, in a ring around the statue, they have various values. At no point in any of those values that they put forward is there a fiduciary duty to their stockholders. But I will tell you this, 
all of those duties are superseded by the fiduciary duty to the stockholders because that is what happens when you become a large enough uh, company and you get a board of directors and you have uh, uh, shareholders. At no point does the government law say you have to respect those values that they put on the statute, right? At no point do they say your charter values that are the charter values of Blizzard, you're bound to them. But they will say that if you are offering stocks, you have a fiduciary duty to make money for your stockholders. So what does that mean? Every other value will be compromised for that. And that is the nature of the beast. That means that, yes, they are going to change the way they do things and partner with different companies in order to enter a market like China, which is a huge market or was a huge market up until um, last year when China started closing down the amount of foreign uh, things they were proving. But that is a completely different – if you ever want to go deep into like what's going on with the Chinese market and why less companies are looking at China for expansion right now um, – it's because China is very controlling of their market and its entire uh, discussion in and of itself. But you are having these sort of compromises for foreign markets, um, completely different from any video games for the longest time. Wizards of the Coast, mm -hmm. which does Magic the Gathering, was getting a lot of flack because they were terrified to have any kind of... Um, queer representation it was something that they were very skittish about doing it could only ever be implied and never explicit and that was because of russia now russia is on the outs with the international community everybody's boycotting them there's sanctions suddenly for the first time ever going into pride uh this year they're doing a special drop and it's all about the queer spectrum they've got like cards that are like Oh, beer can uh, canopy, and it's not like grizzly bears; it's actual beers, <laughs> and like they're like, and they're being proud, and they're being loud, and it's such shrill, baseless marketing. Like if every time we get to June, and you just see those pride colors show up, and then you and you know July first, just ooh, all the color flushes out, and this is this is like that to the tenth degree. But they're doing it because they feel like they can't lose money now. Because Russia's, Russia's already uh, uh, screwed over, and Russia was the only reason that they weren't do, uh, taking advantage of it before. Um, speaking of like the censorship, I, correct me if I'm wrong. This week, was it not announced? I, I could have the game wrong. But um, they refused to remove the Statue of Liberty. I think it was, was it from Spider-Man? Right. Yeah, China had requested that, and they stood their ground and said no. That's pretty important. So, so you may see them ref, uh, being denied approval, but it's a landmark. And I think it, I think Chinese soft power can only go so far. They are aware of how much power they have. That was asking a little much to remove a landmark. 
And also, that I'm, I and I don't know too much about this situation, but also that you know the United States rallies around. Like, you know, if we want to talk about duty to stockholders, the United States also loves to rally around the like we said no, mm-hmm. we uphold our freedom and went against censorship. Uh, so I'm sure that was also a very popular move, just because it felt very American um, to refuse the the Chinese request to or the to or whichever request to to remove something. I'm sure. Um, you know, there's. Also, want to ask you guys because I'm not an online gamer. Okay, my oldest son is. You know, I, I don't get into online competitive games. I'm, I'm a story driven, you know, play by myself kind of person. Okay, but in your experience, you know, when we're talking about toxicity within the industry, we also have to talk about toxicity within the fan base. Okay, from your guys's perspective. What communities do you find the most toxic? Isolated communities. Any community that gets isolated can become um, toxic. And what I mean by that are communities that don't have a lot of gamers that jump between genres. So you will find that in a lot of fighting games, right? You'll have some people who all they do is play fighting games and it'll become very insular and then that will allow them to form their little niche here, which then if you become isolated, you become easy to be targeted, right, by forces that will try and radicalize you. They will take your frustration and they will point you towards an enemy. And that enemy can be anything. That enemy can be people who look different, people who act different. Right. And we've seen it all over. One of the big things was this like incel uh, community that popped up for a a while. Um, One of the people who were talking before was talking about like how, oh, the Me Too movement um, came after Gamergate. And they were speaking about like how. I was talking about like, oh, there was a Me Too movement and then we had a Me Too movement that echoed in the game industry. Well, here's the sad thing. Gamergate is a third incident mm-hmm. that happened before that. Yep. And I was talking about a completely separate thing. We had a uh, a matter of a number of these high level um, esports organizations and they were between various different games. The big one was Method. Right, and Method is this esports organization that did race the world first in uh, in Blizzard's uh, MMO World of Warcraft, but they also fielded some high teams in Overwatch and other different sports, including like League of Legends and uh, stuff from outside of Blizzard as well. Um, it was found out that they had one person in their uh, in their team that was grooming. And had their own little isolated Discord and was doing some uh, some horrible things there. They had a number of sexual uh, assaults that they know they knew about and swept under the rug and tried uh, and tried to downplay. And eventually, it came to a head along with a number of different um, content creators and influencers within the gaming uh, gaming sphere. And then that that came about because. Woman after woman after woman came forward and told their stories. And this was separate from Gamergate, which predates it by roughly Mm -hmm. a decade, right? Which 
means that this is secular. If we don't keep the conversation going, we are doomed to repeat it. Right? So when somebody's like, oh, no, 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 Gamergate predates the Me Too. Yes, it did. But it happened again. And that's why, like, when Lex is saying, like, we keep that conversation going is because change doesn't happen overnight. And change is not all at once. And change is not something that you go, okay, we're good. We're done here. Change is a gradual and constant uh, progress. And why I say isolated is because when you're not talking to these groups, these groups are getting their own mentality and they are becoming toxic in their own way. They will think that, oh, you know, there is this, oh man, there is this horrible thing about about reporting and like it's and it's bad. And it's not really uh, what they're talking about. They will go and say like, oh, all the women streamer on uh, on Twitch, they're getting all my views, right? When uh, when there's all of this stuff that goes through, and they will get these thoughts in their head where if any of them had like been in a larger group, like let's just say somebody had that thought and they came into my Discord and they and they were saying that and I'd be like, dude, that's messed up. Why would you think that? And you could like answer that thought before they find four or five other people and then become ingrained in it, right? And that's the radicalization of gamers. They like find their own little niches they find their own little groups and that group becomes a quasi cult and it gets very distorted views. And then those views become what they identify themselves as. It's the weirdest thing that we have seen with so much culture where it's like, you're not a real nerd. You don't know anything about Superman. All you do is watch the Superman movies. Right. And then the, the comic book creator makes a Superman that doesn't uh, that doesn't identify the way that they do, and it's like, oh, Superman can't be bisexual, and just they just lose their mind. Or Thor can't be a woman, and they lose their mind because they've had their their own little fiefdom and their own little thoughts of it, and anything that disturbs them turns them rabid, and that's what's the the toxic part of gaming. You know, do you, do you feel like that? Unfortunately, as the years have passed, the we've lost the feeling of playing games just for fun? No. <laughs> because a lot, of the, a lot of the toxicity to me, it, it just seems like it sucks the joy out of the game. I'm going to answer this one first and then I'm going to pass it over to Lex. I, 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 I said no. Um, it is something that's hard to do when you are fighting against the toxicity. I know at one point somebody in your chat had been like, oh, man, if you believe like the political, it's 50-50. And the, the truth of the matter is, no, it's not 50-50, right? You've got, let's say, 20% who are hard on one side. You've got another uh, percentage that's hard on the other. You have a, the lion share that is somewhere in between or is just not aware enough of the issue to actually comment. And I think that when you play games you can play them just for fun you can play an mmo and you can play with your your girlfriend and you can level up a bunch of different alts and it's just like this is just what we do for fun you could play um uh, lost ark and 
you could be laughing about like the stereotypes and stuff in there and be like, what in the world were these guys on when they made this thing? And still enjoy that game and not dive into the politics of it. But the truth of the matter is that anything that matters is or will become political and eventually you have to you have to stand up for yourself. So you can play video games as escapism, but you have to realize that you can only escape for so long before you have to deal with these things. Your turn, Lex. Yeah, no, I think um, I think that the the flip side of the isolated communities that Manny was talking about is that a lot of uh, communities have become insular in a, in a, in a ability to protect themselves. Um, and I think that for me, that's kind of how I, maybe insular is not necessarily the right word, but while toxic communities pop up, you kind of get an opposite pop up of groups that are made to be more inclusive and to be more accepting and less toxic. Uh, so I have not role played in probably close to five years now. And I only play World of Warcraft on role playing servers uh, because I know that role playing servers as a rule are significantly more accepting to people like me. Um, and I've been right, right? I've had just so much easier of a time. Uh, and the second that I step off a role playing server, and, you know, hang out with a guild on a uh, normal server, um, I am reminded of why World of Warcraft has a reputation of being toxic. Um, and so I think that there is... Uh, th there is also a lot of people that are popping up that are combating that toxicity, right? I actually think Twitch is a great place partially because we're seeing so many... Um, streamers who are women and disabled and queer and people of color who are using Twitch as a way to build a platform and gain representation um, on their own terms um, and in the gaming world uh, in a way that we would not have had before, you know, streaming became big um, and before it was it was as easy to, to develop a community. You know, I got to tell you guys, I want to thank you guys so much for being here. You guys have been fascinating just to listen to. And I'm an old guy gamer, so it's really great getting, like, fresh perspective. But we're sitting at a little over an hour, and I'm going to drop a final question on you two, and I will, would love to hear your answers on this. Metaverse, yay or nay, and why? Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> Got you. Whatever, whatever you mean by yay or nay, uh, the answer is nay. Uh, metaverse isn't ready yet just like as much as people want to have that pie in the sky ready player one sort of thing uh the infrastructure is not there yet the the amount of just flat out lag you would need uh, you would have to get the sort of information forward it just doesn't exist right now um what you are seeing from facebook and companies like that is that they are trying to pave the way and be ready for when it is viable but in especially in the u.s where you have a lot of rural countries that do not have access to um high uh, uh, high speed internet it is not possible for them to do what they want to do to have business meetings in a virtual lobby to have 
uh, online hangouts and like jump from one place of the web or not. And as much as Web3 and the blockchain is uh, something that is developing, there is a big pushback on how it's going through and where we're going to unify on that. This is a lot of tech stuff that I don't want to go into, <laughs> but the the, uh, the the short story is that metaverse as a concept is currently being pushed forward ahead of its actual viability, and we're not there yet. So don't expect it in the next 10 years. And, and if it happens, let it be uh, somebody else beside Facebook. Go ahead, Lex. Yeah, uh, that was the first thing I was going to say. Uh, mine is a lot more, uh, a lot less set in the tech and a lot more set in emotion. Um, I do not want more world like power given to corporations, right? I, I am scared of metaverse because I think that it represents a way that not only corporations, but individual corporations can gain massive monopolies and a massive amount of power. Um, and, you know, I don't love the people that are in power right now, right? I, I am not I am not a, a simp for the government, but Lord Almighty, I like them more than Facebook. <laughs> um, and that is, uh, that is why I am, I am, I would be a, a metaverse nay. Um, I think the concept is is cool on paper, uh, but it also feels like it is getting into a sci-fi dystopia, uh, and I I don't love that about it. Um, you know, I've I've got a quest too, and I made the fatal fatal mistake of going into like one of the public things that they have. I lasted about five minutes before I said I'm out. This is horrible because there's no control in there whatsoever. I don't think there's no such thing as any kind of moderation or whatnot. It's strictly reporting. Then you've got everything from young children to old folks in there acting a fool, being racist, being, you know, homophobic. I mean, it was awful. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm out. Bye. <laughs> so to be clear, to be clear, I own an Oculus. I love the concept of oh, me virtual too. reality. I have a lot of fun with it. Oh, yeah, it's great. It's wonderful. Um, I simply don't want, you know, Facebook to run my company. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it does get kind of frightening. Like Blame Tag said, it, it's an issue with your Mark Zuckerbergs and Elon Musk where they want to skip to the end and not do the work. <laughs> but, you know, you're looking at, okay, Zuckerberg wants to control the metaverse. Musk wants to rule Mars. It, to your point, that's way too more too too much power for somebody. Too much. You know, these are private entities that you know. I mean, they got more money than God as it is. No. <laughs> if 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 it was genuinely decentralized and not controlled by a single company, and like there were very 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 strong anti-monopoly uh, protections, you could convince me of that but we have failed to even use uh anti-monopoly laws against our current tech uh sorry that maybe got into topics i wasn't supposed to get into but um uh i anyway, uh, anyway. i understand world, i'm right there with you, you. <laughs> so guys everybody go check out their podcast pretty good stuff um they're doing good work make sure you give them a follow um you know this is something that i want to explore further as we go you know, down the road. Um, I definitely, you know, want to learn more about what goes on in the gaming industry. You know, yeah. I mean, it's retail, you know, their service industry. I mean, we've got these kind of abuses and treatments going on everywhere. And I think one thing that we tend to miss is that in industries like the gaming industry with the amount of, you know, 
funds that come into that, the amount of capital, the amount, the amount of revenue that that generates. Typically, I think what you see is an escalated level of abuses that because they feel that they're so powerful within that industry, they can get away with it. And, you know, Mandy, to your point, you know, keeping the conversation going, you know, and letting people know what's going on is, is the best, the best path forward. And for any of you that have watched this and have no idea what Gamergate is, please, when this is over, go look that up and that'll be a nice primer to where all this has been. Manny's completely correct that it repeated itself. It was around too. And, you know, this is an industry. A lot of people love the product, but doesn't know a lot about what goes on behind the scenes. And you guys are 100% correct. You know, maybe not all players are going to care, okay? But to your point about apathy, there's a lot of people who don't know. And if they're educated, it'll eliminate that apathy. So you guys are doing good work. It's, it's an industry that, that needs some regulation. It needs somebody to step in. And, and it needs to not be false promises of big corporations saying we're going to clean it up. You got to see it. And, you know, Manny, to your point about Mortal Kombat, you know, that is something I had never thought of. The PTSD that comes along with that, because that's a lot of vile content that you have to examine to create a game that simulates those horrible things. So thank you for that. I, I never knew that. That, that. that was amazing. So I'm going to have to look that up. Thank you for that one. That gives me a rabbit hole to go down. So guys, um, I'm going to let you guys close it out. Any last words from you two? Um, I would say that, yeah, as long as you are enjoying your games, feel free to enjoy your games, but, uh, everything that is made comes at a cost and hopefully it's not at a very human cost. And right now the game industry, uh, there's a lot of human cost involved and a lot of change that needs to be made. I think the last thing I would say, uh, we talked about Gamergate a lot, and I think one thing that I take away from that is not just that it's cyclical, but that the second time we went around, uh, when we went back into Me Too and we started talking about uh, sexism in games, uh, women were a lot more protected and listened to. Uh, so we can change things. The world is not uh, a constant state of hell. We are able to to move forward and to do to do positive work if we talk and we listen and we try really hard. Uh, so talk and listen and try really hard. Awesome. So you guys interested in coming back? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah we'll that'd see. be fun. We'll, we'll, we'll come up with some topics. You know, one thing that I want to do is going in a little further um, down the road is we're going to start having a little bit more like fun episodes, you know, that aren't going to be so serious. Um, speaking of which, next week is going to be something to behold. So we're going to have um, Blame Tag, Irish Connection, The Ranty Bastard, Sean William Brown, and myself. I asked on Twitter how much beverage was going to be needed, and The Ranty Bastard said, well, we should probably all plan on getting a keg. So that ought to tell y'all <laughs> what's coming up. Um, also, the week after that, the one that I want everybody to make sure to check in is when Mad Dog's on to tell about her story with um, Bargain Stunt. That is something else. So, But Lex and Manny, thank you so much for being here. Um, like I said, everybody go give them a follow. You know, if you're interested in the gaming industry and you're interested in having conversations like this or hearing conversations like this and more of it, go give them a follow and check it out. So having said that, everybody stay safe. Have a great night and we will see you next week.